0: Of you are planning to travel for Thanksgiving this year? Anybody hitting the highway? Well, Monisa and I will be making our way down to the beach for the last decade or so. That's become our tradition. Started it for some reason that I don't remember. And uh, the kids loved it. And I think our kids and grandkids would disown us if we stopped doing that. So, uh, Thursday we'll eat turkey and then walk on the beach. And, you know, Thanksgiving is about many things. And family, for most of us, is a really big part of it, right? You know, being together and And we have the tradition of going around the table and I come up with a couple different things we talk about uh, and just share with one another while we're all together and looking forward to that. But now, yesterday, I bought my turkey. And um, I had a hard time this year because most of the places I looked, the biggest ones they had were like 15 pounds. And I don't buy 15-pound turkey. Now, I used to do like... 26, 27 pound birds. I've gone down a little bit, so I got me a 21 pound bird, okay. And uh, so I'll fix the turkey Thursday, and y'all know my tradition. I stuff the bird because you don't have real dressing unless you stuff it. It's, it's fake. It's, it's fake stuffing, okay. If you don't stuff it, you got okay. You got that. So, but anyway, looking forward to that. And uh, so I'll pay a little bit more for a, a big turkey. And <laughs> you, you get up in the morning at our, at our house right now, and in the bedroom. In our bedroom, it's hard to walk. Because Monisa's got all these bags with stuff she's been buying, mostly for the grandbabies, getting ready for Christmas. And isn't it interesting how when it comes to these special holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, family is so important and, and it reminds us that family, you know, other than Jesus Christ, family comes comes next, the most important thing in life, and we 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 invest our resources in in, in, in our family. But sometimes money can be a touchy situation in families. There are these uh, attorneys who are experts in wills and estate planning that have written, I think it's four or five books on the subject. And you see a couple of them there, the family fight and the family war. And one of them, they, they tell stories. And, the, and one of them told about an elderly woman who came to see him and asked him to review her will. And so he he Took the copy she brought and he read the whole thing, and then after reading it, he looked at her and asked, "Well, are, did you, are you intending to give all of your estate, everything you have, to your son?" And she got really upset, really emotional, and said, "No, she wanted everything, everything um, in her will uh, to, to wanted everything to be divided up evenly among all three of her kids." In her will. Now, what had happened? She brought in a homemade will. You know, somebody printed something off the internet and and then typed it up for her a will. And she wanted everything divided evenly among all three kids. But the will she brought to him that someone had typed up for her left everything to her son. Now, who do you think typed the will for her? Her son. (laughs) Isn't that awful? But stories like that happen all the time, and so we, you know, we spend money on our family because we love them. But, but it's amazing what money will cause people who are family to, to do to each other. Money can be a touchy subject in the home. Money can be a touchy subject at to church, can it? Um, we're, we're here in Rock Hill, just up the road, Fort Mill. Most of you remember back in the '80s, Jim Baker and PTL and the Heritage. Uh, what was it called? The Heritage. Um, Praise the Lord, PTL and the Park, Heritage, the Amusement Park, whatever it was called up there. Did you know that uh, Heritage was it Heritage USA at its peak in 1986 attracted 6 million visitors and it was the third most popular site in the country, only behind Disney World and Disneyland. Did you know that? And, of course, most of you know he raked in millions and millions and millions of dollars in donation and then he was convicted in 1989 of of fraud, several counts in federal court, and spent almost five years in prison. And from all of those, the, those millions of dollars he raised, he spent a lot of it on himself. They own several very large and very expensive homes, expensive jewelry. On one trip, just one trip to Florida, just one trip to Florida, during that trip, he purchased three luxury automobiles, including two Rolls Royce. And well, he ended up in jail. That's where he belonged. Well, he's back. He has a new TV show, new ministry based in Missouri on satellite television and so on. He has a smaller version of Heritage USA. And today his message, he's preaching doomsday messages. He's preaching, you know, there's all these calamities and you've got to get ready because uh, it's just going to get bad and you've got to get ready. And what you need is all this survival gear. So you need these generators that don't need fuel and you need all these freeze-dried food items that can last for 30 years and stock up and get ready because it's going to get bad out there. And if you give a certain donation to his new ministry, he'll send you some of that stuff. Doesn't belong to any of the organizations that most parachurch groups do that require certain standards and accountability and audits and so on. There's no transparency. Hasn't learned his lesson in terms of transparency and accountability. You all know those stories. We, we 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 have stories on a much smaller scale like that. So whether it's in the family, it's in the church, what happens? It causes controversy. It causes broken relationships. And when it happens in the church and in ministry, man, it just hurts everybody, right? Every time there's a financial indiscretion, a financial controversy like that, somebody does something illegal with, with, with money, it, it hurts the cause of Jesus. It hurts the local church. It hurts preachers. It hurts God's people. It hurts all of us and, and, and you know this, all of and, and and the evidence supports this. The overwhelming majority of churches do things the right way. The overwhelming majority of ministers are honest when it comes to money. But those few rotten apples, what do they do? They they just cause problems for all of us, right? And let me show you a couple of verses on the screen and then we're gonna to turn to first Corinthians. Titus 1. Look at, look at these verses. He says, For the overseer, another way of talking about a minister, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, and not fond of sordid of gain, dishonest, bad money, not selfish, and, and, and so on. Let's go and look at the next slide. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. Now notice, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So I don't have any problem calling out those that I think are on TV just to make money and teaching things they shouldn't be teaching because they're just trying to make sordid gain. That's the problem with a lot of these characters. Another passage from First Timothy chapter 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be an overseer or pastor, he's is a good work, uh, then above reproach and, and, and some different qualifications. And you drop down to verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. I don't know, Paul must have seen some really, you know, preachers who like to fight or something. So he, he kept putting that in there. Uh, not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. So that's what's supposed to be. It's not always what is, but it's what's supposed to be. And by the way, that's one of the reasons we have we have. Standards here, okay? We well, have standards here. Uh, I, I did an, a leadership event for another church, not not here, but somewhere else recently, and they they gave me an honorarium for that. And I noticed on the check there was one signature. Every check here has to have two signatures. There has to be documentation attached. There's audits. There's stewardship committee gets the audits. There's, there's standards, and there's a reason for that because of what Scripture says, and because of the damage not having those does to the cause of Christ, and to the ministry. But now here's the thing, here's the thing, God does tell us in Scripture that we're supposed to to give and support ministry and support churches and support ministers and support pastors financially and, and together we can do a lot when we all do that. Now this sermon series, Better Together, we've talked about how we're a family, we share one DNA and 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 spiritual DNA, we're children of Christ and and therefore we need to act like it. And that that shows up in how we treat one another, how we talk to one another, talk about one another. It it, it shows up in how we support one another and and serve one another. It shows up in in so many uh, different ways. Last week we talked about everybody doing their part and serving. Well, this week, better together, despite all the issues out there, looking at what God says in Scripture, we're better together when. Each one of us does our part when each of us contributes to the cause, to the kingdom of God, to the ministry that God uh, puts us as part of. So do you have your Bible? You got your Bible? Written Bible? Electronic Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let me see. You got your Bible? Bring your Bible to church, okay? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to do a little Bible study for the next few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Then I want to briefly share with you a couple of new ministry things that are going to be taking place later uh, in our church life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just kind of walk you through this. Um, the Apostle Paul is being criticized by some group, and they're attacking his legitimacy as an apostle, saying he doesn't deserve support as a minister. And so he's dealing with that issue as he writes this letter to the believers in the city of Corinth and the church at Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. Um, he says in verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? He's asking rhetorical questions. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? By the way, in the New Testament, uh, an apostle was someone who had seen the resurrected Christ. You could not be an apostle without having seen the resurrected Christ. Paul saw him on the Damascus Road and a couple of other occasions he alludes to as well. So he could legitimately be called an apostle. And um, he said and at the end of verse 1, Are you not my work in the Lord? Who planted, who started the church in the city of Corinth? Do you know? Paul. We read about it in the book of Acts. So he's the one who planted this church. He says, so, hey, I'm an apostle. I've seen Christ risen from the dead. I started this church. You are part of the work that God's given me. Verse 2, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He said, "He said others may not think of me that way, but you know. You know. He said, and then he gives his defense to those who are questioning him in verse 3. And he says, in verse 4, do we, and he's referring to him and Barnabas and the others who travel with him as a missionary team, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Who is Cephas? Peter. Peter was married. And he's saying here, when we travel and do this ministry, don't, don't we have the right to have our wife and take her with us? Verse 6, or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Do all the other apostles deserve support, financial support from the church, but but Barnabas and I don't? We're the only ones that that, that don't have the right to not work, but to give ourselves fully to this ministry? Verse 7, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? He's saying common sense here just tells you that that uh, that you benefit from those things. Verse eight. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law, the Old Testament, also say the, say these things? And then he quotes an Old Testament passage in verse nine, that from the law of Moses it says you should not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. In other words, when an animal is threshing the grain, you allow him You don't make him work and not feed him. And then he he raises a question at the end of verse 9. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking in verse 10 altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. What he's saying is as much as God wants us to care for animals, and he does, he wants us to care even more for human beings. And if there are principles involved in how, how you treat and take care of animals, those principles are even more important when it comes to how you take care of people. And here he's talking about himself, those in ministry. So it continues in verse 10. He said the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. And then he gets to his point in verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now that you, you get that. He says I'm an apostle. I planted the church. I preached. That's what I'm doing. Planting spiritual things in you, then it just makes sense that you support me, Paul says uh, financially. Now drop down to verse 13. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. He's going back to the Old Testament and the Jewish temple when people would bring sacrifices and you would have the priest who would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the worship. You would have the Levites who were the ones that were the helpers. They cleaned the temple. They did. They sang in the worship services. They were full-time living there. Uh, and 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 he says, don't you remember that when they would bring meat or grain or other items as a sacrifice, part of it was set aside for the support of the priest and the Levites. So in verse 14, So also the Lord, now the Lord is Jesus, directed, commanded those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. He's going back to... uh, the New Testament when Jesus sent the disciples out on those preaching missions and he said the people where they go and preach are to take care of them. And so he said the Lord is affirming that biblical principle of those who receive spiritual stuff from those who serve God, taking care physically, financially, and otherwise of those who do the Spirit. So that's the biblical principle. It's pretty pretty clear teaching. So Paul's defending himself and Barnabas and he's laying down this biblical principle when it comes to how ministry Works and sometimes people ask the question about why do churches take up offerings and and all of that. It's a biblical principle and there's practical benefits, practical reasons uh, for it. So so what we have here, let me just make a couple of comments. I'm going to show you a couple more passages and then we're going to get to the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Um, Jesus affirmed this biblical principle that is displayed in the Old Testament for those who preach the gospel, the way the church is supposed to function. And so, therefore, don't be ashamed of it, don't apologize for it, and don't abuse it the way Jim Baker and others have. Money's part of family life. I mean, we use money in our immediate homes and our families, right? We, we use money to, 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 to have a house and to have food and to have clothing. And we, we, use, we use money to provide for our kids' education Uh, to buy insurance, to have transportation. We use money to save for retirement and pay medical insurance and life insurance. We use money to buy cars and to have hobbies and to entertain ourselves. And it's the same thing with the church because practically everything the church does has expense and cost associated with it, ministries and activities, staff, salaries, insurance, and so on, facilities, missions, benevolence. It's God's economy. In other words, that's just the, the world we live in. And God says that's how it works. Because without doubt, there, there wouldn't be lights, there wouldn't be chairs, there wouldn't be projection, there wouldn't be musical instruments, there wouldn't be me to preach uh, uh, and, and, and work full-time in this. It's just the economy God has set up, and it makes sense, and it has a purpose. Now I want you to look quickly at Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 on the screen. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. It's just another passage saying essentially what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And what I'm trying to do is, is just lay out there what God says in Scripture about why church works the way it works, why we have facilities and we have full-time staff and we give and what why it's, it's biblical to support all of this. 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy rather, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, look at what he says. He said, The elders who rule well another way of referring to pastors and so on, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, and here he's quoting the same passage he quoted in 1 Corinthians 9 from the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. You know, my salary is not a gift, it's a salary, it's wages for working full-time in ministry. That's the economy that God has established in Scripture, and I want to say something. God has blessed us because we have a very generous church family. When you look back over the years and all God has done and all that the people here have contributed toward, it is absolutely amazing. And uh, I give God thanks for for all of it. Does everybody in this church tithe? No, but a lot of people do, and there are people who make great sacrifice. And the church has been good to me and it's good to our staff, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm also thankful for all the ministry it lets us do. In fact, um, we're getting ready as an outgrowth of Vision 21 and our, our focus. Remember, one, one of our three priorities in Vision 21 is to strengthen families. And there's, there's needs for that. You know, one, it's biblical that, that you know, God created the home before he created any other institution. And discipleship happens not only at church, it's to happen in the home. We also know that in our modern culture, families are disintegrating, Right? We have kids who are going off to college, and man, they're struggling. Uh, too many people are divorcing. People don't have uh, do don't, don't don't always come into marriage with a commitment to make it work. So that's a big that's that's a big thing, and that's important. So I'm not going to say much about it. We'll talk later. But in December we're gonna we're going to initiate a new ministry that some of us are piloting even now, called Screen Smarts. It's going to help all of you parents and you grandparents. Okay. To be tech savvy. How about that? Because your kids have exposure to amazing technology and social media platforms. And sometimes it gets them in trouble. Right? What do you do? How do you help them? So we're going to have a ministry that helps you know how to help them and make you Whatever your age, a little more tech-savvy than you are. We'll tell you all about that in December. There's another ministry we're going to initiate. We're calling Home First, and it's a pretty expensive ministry that's not just about parenting, but it's about marriage. It's about grandparents and grandkids. It, it, it impacts every relationship you have. And we'll do a soft rollout in December, then next March, we have a we have a marriage conference scheduled for next March and uh, we're going to do a full rollout of, of home first when we have that marriage conference in in March and it's going to be a great tool and great resources to help anybody say I want to take another step forward in my relationships in, in my relationship as a husband and my wife my relationship as a parent my relationship as a grandparent my relationship with my siblings my my dating relationships my walk God, it's going to be a ministry that that, that if you take advantage of it, will be a great help to you in your family relationships of all types. And I'm really, I have to be honest, I'm really, really excited about that. And, and, and I'm sharing those things with you just to give you a sense of what's coming. And all of that is an outgrowth of Vision 21. Vision 21, strengthening families, one, one of our key commitments. This is some stuff we're doing to help us be better at that and to help our families be stronger and, and our, our children to grow spiritually and grow in Christ and and be ready uh, when they get off in, in college and so on. And so really, really excited about that. And and, and what, what does that have to do with today's message? It's this, none of that's free. Now, you don't have to pay to participate in any of it, but the church does. We have to provide it. And there's cost with that. And, and, and when we talk about better together, your giving, your giving helps make that possible. And that, that's just one small example. But, boy, it's an important example. And because of, because of your giving, then you're going to be impacting people. You're, you're going to be, listen to me, senior adults, you're, you're, because of your investment, you're going to impact some young people over the next year or two, over the next three, four, five years. You're going to impact them in such a way that it's going, to, it's going to impact their life for decades. It's going to impact their life after you, you are already in glory. See, we're better together. You, you, it's not just about me. It's about us. It's not just about you. It's about us. We're always better Together, and it's not always what do I get out of it. It's always what what brings honor to Jesus and what builds his family and builds his church and builds his kingdom and builds his mission. And I, I get blessed when I participate in that. You, you get blessed when you participate in that. But, boy, listen, I don't do this stuff. You don't do this stuff. None of us do this stuff just for, for what we get out of it because... That's just not why followers of Jesus do things. We do it for his sake. We do it for his sake. We do it in obedience to him. So I hope you'll take advantage of those when we roll them out. And I really want to encourage you grandparents to get ready to be part of Screen Smarts so you can have some informed conversations with your grandkids about this stuff. Okay? Okay? It, it, it will matter, and you know sometimes grandkids will come and speak to a grandfather or a grandmother before they ever talk to their mom or dad about something. You just have a way of uh, of helping, okay? And we're going to help you help you with that. All right. I'm done. That's the shortest you've heard me preach in a while, isn't it? Because we're going to worship. And, and, and we'll take up an offering, and then we're going to do the Lord's Supper. But right now, we're going to have a time of invitation. So I want you to stand. And, you know, the altar is where we res- get on our knees and respond to the Lord. And I, I want to ask you this, this whole idea of better together. And with all that goes on, and we all have opinions about everything, but God's economy... Is those who are part of his family and those who are part of his church and those who benefit from the ministries of it support it with their tithes and offerings? That's the way God has set it up. And my question is are you doing that? Are you supporting? Are you contributing? Are you helping make all of it possible? Because everyone who benefits is supposed to help make it happen. And so the altar is a place of prayer. You can stand where you are and pray. You can kneel here and pray. I want you to pray for our church that will be effective at impacting lives and lifting up the name of Christ. There's somebody in your life that you're burdened for. Maybe you have a grandchild or a child or a brother or a neighbor or a friend, and they're, they're far from God. They're far from God. You want to pray for them. Come tonight and we'll pray with you for them. Some of you are wanting to join our church. I'll be here at the front. Come and let us know that or request baptism or most importantly, give your life to Christ. See, one of the things you'll find about the Bible, about the New Testament, about Jesus, is Jesus didn't skirt around things. The Scripture doesn't skirt around things. Jesus talked about money a lot. So I'm not ashamed to talk about it because it's a big part of life. And when I surrender to Jesus as Lord, it means I also surrender my money. I can't surrender myself to Jesus without surrendering all of me. And that's why we talk about it. It's just part of life. And saying, Lord, all of me, all of me belongs to you. So let's sing together. You come and make your decisions right now.
1: I have decided to follow.
0: seated, Please, let me introduce these to you. These were all—all all three. Of these were at dinner with the pastor this past Sunday night. Steve and Cindy, if you would stand with me first, Steve and Cindy McKay. I met them one Sunday morning. I don't know, two, three months ago, I think it was, uh, back over here, and they have moved here recently from Alabama, and looking for a church home. And God's brought them to First Baptist, and really have enjoyed getting to know them a little bit. Look forward to getting to know you much much better in the days ahead would you join me in welcoming them to our family of faith God bless you you remain standing here all right Miss Ruth come and join me this is Ruth Busby she also was at our dinner and you know she's been a part of our church years ago and and she's back she uh, she joined Sunday school this morning by the way for those of you not in Sunday school that's a good example go to Sunday school and uh, she's coming today also to join our church on transfer of letter as our uh, the McKays as well. Would you join me in welcoming Ruth to our family of faith? God bless you. I'm going to allow you all to go with Brother Wayne here, and uh, then once you're done back there, you can come back in because we're going to worship some more and take the Lord's Supper. They're going to go uh, take your picture and get a, Here you go, Brother Wayne. There you go. All right. Um, the Lord's Supper, uh, it won't be right now, Wayne. We, they've got time. They've got time. We've got some music coming up. Um, we're going to do things a little differently this morning. Uh, we're going sing, You're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to take up the offering, and the choir is going to sing. And then after that, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And what I want you to do is through this music, prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Prepare your soul to take the supper. Because, you know, we, we talk about giving and people making sacrifices. Who made the greatest sacrifice? Who gave the greatest gift? So he sets the pace. And every time we do the Lord's Supper, we are honoring Him and His sacrifice. We're remembering. Then we search our hearts and we search our souls. Try to draw closer. Ask forgiveness for things that we need to repent of. So let this be a time of worship and preparation, and then uh, as the service moves forward at the appropriate time, we'll take the Supper.